I'm Laura Green. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast, the show that brings you the best in sapphic fiction. Join me as I chat with authors, narrators, and friends who share my love for the genre. You will learn things you didn't know about your favorites and get some suggestions for your next read. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast. I had such a great time chatting with today's guest last year that I had to invite her back as the date approaches for her latest release. Eliza Linsky, welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. On May 16th, book six in the Don't Call Me Hero series, Stolen Hearts, will be released. What is in store for Cassidy and Julia in this one? So Cassidy has a new cold case that's, you know, I'm trying to do that every novel. And Julia, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but she's decided that she's going to take the job offer doing pro bono work for Grisham and Stein, which is the big criminal defense law firm in the Twin Cities. So both women have this really full plate with their respective jobs. And I think it's becoming even more imperative that they prioritize their relationship as well as each other. And this book takes place in December. One of the, I don't know, and I don't even know how this ended up happening in this way, but but this series moves time-wise so slowly, <laughs> you know? So like Winter Jacket works kind of like the academic year. So you just like, like time moves by semesters because that's how academics life work. And this is just month by month by month. And so when readers say, oh, when are they going to get married? I, I'd have to remind them, even <laughs> though this is book six, They've only been together. I mean, this is month six. So yeah, lesbians, we move at the speed of light. But (laughs) right, like we have to have a little bit of patience. But anyway, so it's December, we've got holiday traditions. We've got Cassidy's 29th birthday. And then of course, there's the big elephant in the room. And that's Julia, if she's going to freeze her eggs or not. I don't want to get too much into that. I'm afraid I might spill too much because I'm so excited about this book, but I'll leave it at that. I'm reading the book now. I'm 40% into it, and I'm just going to warn the listeners right now. There's a scene that happens in this book that I will be thinking about for quite a while (laughs) that involves water, and that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Anything could happen. It's very uh, memorable, very well written. Kudos to you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I try for authenticity, you know, and everything that I do. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) what do you think makes Cassidy the right woman for Julia? I think this is a trick question. (laughs) Like, I'm going to tell you the reasons why and you're going to be like, wrong, I'm the right woman for Julia. Well, you do know me so well. (laughs) But to your question, when Julia shows up at Cassidy's apartment, you know, very first couple of chapters in the very first novel, I can guarantee you that she never thought this woman, Julia never thought this woman is going to be my soulmate. This woman, you know, is is the person I'm supposed to be with. She never entertained the idea that they might even have a date. But what was attractive at that moment was here was a new person to town, someone who didn't know the embarrassed version of Julia Desjardins. We have kind of like this blank, uncomplicated slate, but it was always going to be a secret affair. Maybe at best, we're talking about friends with benefits. But the thing with Cassidy is that she grows on you. She kind of grows on you. And I think Julia would probably scoff and say something like, yeah, like a fungus. But (laughs) um, I I speak from experience that when you are a very serious person with a very serious job, the best thing can be dating someone who lets you turn all of that off. Someone who encourages you not to take yourself too seriously. 
And when there's this expectation for perfection, even when it's self-imposed, sometimes you need to be with a person who makes you feel like it's okay if you slip up or if you color outside of the lines. So I think it's those qualities, plus all that hot, hot sex they have, um, (laughs) (laughs) that really draws Julia to Cassidy. And I think Cassidy is just a really decent human being. She's just a good person. She's loyal. She's kind. She's very noble. Always tries to do the right thing, even if the series is called Don't Call Me Hero. You know, I think that she does try to do kind of the right thing, kind of the heroic thing. See, and I think I'm exactly like Cassidy. So there you go. And you're like, there we go. That's why not me? (laughs) My partner's the more serious one. I'm the one who makes stupid fart jokes and Mm -hmm. there you go. Try to avoid conflicts by making a stupid joke. I think that is the the formula for success in a relationship because I'm type A, I'm very serious, I'm very, you know, I'm just this solemn kind of person, sometimes an emotional robot. And my wife, she's goofy. Like she is is weird, but (laughs) (laughs) but kind and generous and you know, all of those good things. But the quality that I think has really kept us going is that she has patience for my seriousness and just knows what I need, like just knows what I need to be able to turn that off and to to take myself less seriously. Now that you've finished Stolen Hearts, what do you plan to write next? (laughs) Well, first of all, are you pressuring me to write another book? Um, (laughs) Kind of. I mean, I don't know what's taking you so long. I know. This one, get to it. it. Just get to it. What's the next one? I do have the next book already in my brain. The next one's going to be a a standalone. I tried to take a break from Don't Call Me Hero just so I can, when I come back to it, I'm really eager to come back to the characters. So the next book will be a, a standalone and it's going to be my very first stab at historical fiction. So I, right, I have this doctorate in American history, so I might as well make use of it. Might as well get my money's worth. So the next book, it's called Lighthouse Keeper. It's going to be my first ever historical fiction. And it takes place at the end of of the 19th century in P-Town in in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And at the turn of the century, New England was a major hub for Portuguese immigrants whose families participated in the fishing industry. They were really central. I mean, they made the fishing and the whaling industries happen. Without them, this, this doesn't happen. And there's still a really strong Portuguese presence even today in Cape Cod. So the main character is a young woman who's lived in P-Town all her life. And then the love interest is going to be a Portuguese immigrant. But the inspiration for the story came last December. My wife and I, we went to P-Town for Holly Folly with a couple of friends. And like every good lesbian, we like to go outside and hike and all of that. And it was a beautiful, sunny December day. And we went to go walk out on the jetty. You know the jetty, mm-hmm. P-town, right? This is a break wall, right? And it's it's like the, a mile, a mile and a half. And then when the tide goes low, you have this rock wall, this break wall, and you can walk out forever. It seems to the edge of the earth, and there's this couple of lighthouses out there. And I was just thinking about what a lonely existence that would be to be a lighthouse keeper, and what would that be like? And as we're walking out there, there's locals who are clam digging, and I don't know, it's just super charming, super captivating. So I felt really inspired by lighthouses by P-Town in general. And I said, why not put this in the 19th century? So it's going to be historic fiction. Obviously, it'll be sapphic romance. And right now I'm having a lot of fun researching how lighthouses work. Someone in the novel is going to have a hidden identity. So think like, you know, that super sexy scene in the movie Shakespeare in Love, where Will Shakespeare takes off, kind of unwraps Gwyneth Rose binding, right? I remember that. Yes. 
there's gonna be something like that happening in in the novel. Um, so Gwyneth Paltrow, she's disguising herself as a man so she can be an actor. So there's gonna be like a hidden identity there. I had a massive crush on Gwyneth Paltrow in the 1990s. I don't know who didn't. Yeah, you know? so did I. Right, like I would run home from school and like watch Emma on VHS <laughs> every single day. It's one of my favorites. Month. Yeah, so Lighthouse Keeper. Yeah, next book. It's gonna be a good one. Sounds like it. Is this gonna start maybe a little historical? fiction or is this going to be the only one? Do you think you'll do more? I'm not sure. You know, I do research for everything that I write anyways. You know, when I did Sour Grapes, I had no idea how you made wine. I knew how to drink wine, but I didn't know the process for making wine. So everything I do now, really, I've kind of run out of things in my wheelhouse, academia and police and whatever else. So now I have to do a lot of really in-depth research. And I'm trying to do a lot more with communities that are not of my own. Um, a lot more marginalized communities, a lot of people of color. I'm doing this lighthouse research, but also Portuguese immigrants in the late 19th century. So we'll see. And I, you know, I'm not even sure if people want to read that kind of stuff for me. You know, there's there's authors out here who do historic fiction really, really well. That's their niche. So maybe they'll say, stay in your lane, Eliza, you know, get back to contemporary romance. But we'll see how this one goes. You can make your own lane. You do whatever you want. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> If you and your wife were planning a dinner party with Julia and Cassidy and Hunter and Elle, what are you serving and what games would be the best to play? So my wife is going to do all of the cooking because, I mean, I've got a few things I can make, but not not enough to like impress people if you would invite them over for a dinner party. So, But you can find the Tupperware that will fit the leftover. Yes, that's true. That's a good memory. Nice job. Yeah, my, my secret skill. So my favorite thing she's making right now that I find so impressive We'll start off with a burrata salad. So we've got burrata, we've got arugula, we've got stone fruit, a balsamic drizzle, wow, some molten salts. It's great. And then we'll do some bone-in pork chops with brie, melted brie on top, some sautéed apples, and all of that on top of homemade German spätzle. And because Elle and Hunter and Julia and Cassidy are all from Minnesota, they're going to love it. And then gameplay. It's going to be really interesting because we have such a wide age span, right? When we last saw Hunter, she was in her early 20s. And then we have Julia, who is, I'm never going to tell. You are never going to tell. You'll tell me, though, uh, privately. I know you will. Maybe. Maybe off, off mic. Probably not, though. <laughs> so anyway, big age range. But I love apples to apples or, you know, this more scandalous version of Cards Against Humanity. My wife's family calls it the the game that ruins relationships <laughs> because if you don't pick your, you know, and you, know, you have no idea whose card is what card, you know, when you're the person who's picking. But if you don't pick your partner's card every time, right, you're like, we're, at this, we're not on the same wavelength. Like you, we're not connecting. And I just, I could imagine Julia being so annoyed if Cassidy didn't pick her card and think her selection was most clever or most scandalous or the most amusing. Yeah, so I think apples to apples, or maybe later in the night, you go to a little bit more scandalous cards against humanity. Very nice. And I know I'll get an invite to this party. Of course. You and Devil. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big sports fan. Would you ever write a romance set in the sports world? Yes, definitely. And and I have one in my works in progress queue. It's always just, you know, I have so many stories in this queue. It's just really funny time to write them. And I always get inspired, right? So... This book is going to be a basketball book, and it was inspired by last season's March Madness for the women. 
So during the NCAA tournament this last year, there were two big stars, Angel Reese for LSU and Caitlin Clark for Iowa. And there was a lot of trash talking, mm-hmm. like a lot of smack talking going, you know, this this media narrative of, oh, can women do this? And is this good for the sport, et cetera? But anyway, it really inspired me. Kind of, I've never done an enemies to lovers before. So I could imagine then writing this book where you've got these two players who they hate each other in, in college. One team beats the other team and for the NCAA championship. But then the novel is really set when they're both drafted to the WNBA. So they're a little bit older than college, but they're both drafted to the same team. So good. But again, I got to find time (laughs) to write these books. Well, I'll wait for that one. As a Packer fan, which I don't know why you're not a Chiefs fan, but whatever. (laughs) How ready are you for the Jordan Love era? And do you think he can perform to the level of Favre and Rodgers? I know he'll be a better human because that's not difficult (laughs) at all. Right. That's setting the bar really low. (laughs) I really love that you're asking me this question. So here's the thing, right? I'm going into this season with tempered expectations. (laughs) I think Jordan Love is going to be just fine. He's familiar with the offense. And as long as Matt LaFleur, who is the head coach, can stick to the running game and have balance between the running game and the passing game, which is something that he can't do. He just, he just is like something in his brain breaks and he's like, oh my gosh, I forgot we have this great running back tandem team. Why don't we use them? And even Aaron Rodgers, that's not sustainable. Like he can't play hero ball all the time. But anyway, I wish Aaron Rodgers all the best. You know, I hope he finds so much success on the Jets. I'm just really excited that the Packers are not going to be held hostage by him anymore. Season after season after off season but also that we're just divorcing ourselves from all that drama. You know, Mm -hmm. like Aaron Rodgers is such a drama mama. So I'm happy for Jordan Love. I'm really excited for him to have an opportunity. I think so too. And I think, you know, it's time. Once Rodgers said he was going to wherever he was going for his self-imposed two-week exile thing. His darkness retreat. (sighs) Give me a break. (laughs) I've been in darkness with him for years. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's when you know that like the idle rich, you know, like you've got too much spare time, you've got too much money, like I am going to self impose this prison sentence on myself. And why do we need to know about it? Just go. Mm-hmm. I don't. Just, yeah, exactly. Just do it. You don't need to tell your podcast friend every Tuesday the intricacies of your life. And then he's like, oh, well, the media is so interested in me. Then no. don't do a podcast every week. No one's interested in anybody. No one. Sick of him. <laughs> Bring on Jordan Love. We're ready for Jordan Love. That's right. I'm worried about my Chiefs. I think I'm going to have to play wide receiver for the Chiefs here. We mm. let everyone go. It's very frustrating. It's true. Juju's gone. Valdez Scanling's gone. Who's playing? I don't even know. Sky Moore? I don't know. Sky Moore. Yeah. I mean, he had he was a good prospect, but he they had, never really gave him a chance. And then he'd screw up every now and then. It just something is mm-hmm. boneheaded. So and we'll see what happens. At least we still have my boy. Well, his brother. Oh, my God. Right? What a screw up. <laughs> Right? Anyway, well, you can't how- just do the family proud. You stay out of trouble. I'm sure that how your brother will give it? you a billion yeah. dollars or so to just go hang out and do stuff. You don't have to, idiots. I don't know. You and I, we should have a sports podcast. <laughs> we should. It'd just mostly be me cursing probably the whole time. Right. <laughs> do you and your wife have any fun plans for the summer? Just a couple. We actually were talking about this just a few days ago, how neither of us really had an urge to do much exotic traveling this summer. 
But we always do something for her birthday. Last year, we were out in Napa. But I think we're going to stay closer to home, probably do something up in Vermont. In fact, I think we already have a cabin rented in Vermont for her birthday at the end of June. Um, and we might go to Michigan. It's been a couple of years since I've been back to my hometown. So it's kind of kind of due for a visit to my dad. But I think that we're just going to continue to have a lot of adventures in Boston this summer. The, the pandemic really interrupted us exploring our new city. I haven't done the Freedom Trail yet. I, I haven't gone whale watching, which is like a travesty because like, I got to get my, my lesbian punch card, you know, do all <laughs> of these super queer things. If you if you get a punches on your lesbian card, you get a free Subaru, I hear. Yeah, so I got to do some whale watching. <laughs> Very nice. I'm coming to visit you, by the way. Mm-hmm. Where in Boston are you going to take me? See, you would think I would say the Freedom Trail, but I haven't even done that or a museum, but but no, we are going to, I hope you're ready for this. We're going to eat and drink our way across the city and everyone should come to Boston. Anyway, let's, let's make that happen. But we're going to start off, we're going to get a picnic lunch at the public market and we're going to bring that lunch to the Charles River and then from an eater lunch. And then from there, we're going to go to Tiffany Faison's fancy champagne bar. You know, Tiffany Faison, right? I want to, I have thought about Tiffany Faison. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to, we're going to go to her champagne bar. Maybe we'll see her. Maybe we'll see her. It would be nice. It's it's called Bubbles. It's really I'm going to leave my partner at home just in Um, case I can. (laughs) Yeah. Something Um, going there. So after Bubbles, we're going to go to the Trillium Beer Garden right by the harbor and We're not going to do any touristy traps. We're not going to do any touristy history things because I am going to be your history guide, but just in a beer garden. We're not going to actually go any place. So if you want to know about the Boston Massacre, if you want to know about the Salem Witch Trials, if you want to know about the Great Molasses Flood of 1919, I will regale you with all of those stories over a New England IPA. But then we'll end the evening in the North End, which is Little Italy, and the streets smell like marinara and garlic. Um, but we'll go to my favorite Italian restaurant, Carmelina's. And then after that, depending on which line is shorter, we'll get some a cannoli from either Mike's Pastries or from Modern Pastry. I don't have an allegiance to either one. It's really whatever line is shortest on that particular night. And it's kind of a hot take that's kind of controversial. In Boston, I feel like you have to take a side. You're either a Mike's person or you're a Modern Pastry person. And I just say a cannoli is a cannoli. That's right. Well, I'm looking forward to this visit. I'm going to have to not drink for about a month beforehand, though. Yeah, prepare can... prepare your liver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave my partner at home, though, because really, me and Tiffany Faison, something's going to happen Tiffany there. Tiffany Faison is there. She is actually, my my wife met her once, and she's so short. And my wife is five, four. So she's not like a, you know, she's not like towering over folks herself. Tiffany Faison apparently is very, very short. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. She could climb me like a tree then, because I'm well, like I'm five, saying, seven. I'm sure there's like a Napoleon complex though, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think she might. Yeah. She could probably be a little, you know. Oh, I bet she's mean. I yeah, mean. Yeah, I bet she could be a little. Be- but, you know, I'm kind of into that sometimes. Some we'll see what like happens. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what kind of music do you like and who are your three favorite singers? I like a little bit of everything. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. My Spotify is a total mess. Um, but because I'm a very serious person with a very serious job, I listen to a lot of jazz. Jazz is kind of my go-to. Nina Simone, whom we have spoken about before mm-hmm. in this podcast, as far as like who would, who would I want to meet, I think was was her. Who I want to meet? Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. So Nina Simone, she's the only person that I play on my record player. Like it's just like, a, this is like a Nina Simone only area. But in her cover of Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit, there is a, a note that she holds 
and it's so haunting. And I, I can't describe it. I can't use another word to describe it. It's it's haunting. So Nina Simone. I'll go next with Brandy Carlisle because I got to keep my lesbian street cred going. That's right. Um, I'm a recent convert to the Bramley, to Brandy Carlisle. Uh, like I knew of her and I knew a couple of her songs. But then in January, I went to Brandy Carlisle's Girls Just Want a Weekend down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. The huge music festival where you're just in this bubble of all of this queer and love and love happiness. A couple of friends of ours from Milwaukee had had invited us and we were like, yes, let's do this thing. So I'm I'm a changed person now because of this. So and also she's just like a decent human being too, you know, generous and kind and decent. And I love nothing more than than decent, kind people. And then thirdly, we'll have to go with Taylor Swift because right You have to <laughs> I have to say more. A lot. Right. You know, I'm I'm not dropping Taylor Swift Easter eggs in my novels or anything like that, but she is on the regular. She's my she's my playlist whenever I'm trying to get in the mood to write. It's pretty much just Taylor Swift on repeat. I'm a new Taylor Swift fan. I admit that, you know, for a while I was like Taylor Swift. Everybody loves Taylor Swift. Why? Mm-hmm. But now I get mm-hmm. it. When I was commuting from Milwaukee to Chicago, I was in grad school and my wife was in Milwaukee. And so I was commuting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I I don't know. I just listened to Taylor Swift. I think it was the 22 album. I don't know. I just loved it. It just like set, set the day up in the right way. You have to have music to get you going. Mm-hmm. As a historian, which two people in history who fought for women's and LGBTQ rights would you most like to meet? All right. So the first one's a bit of a deep cut, and that's Alice Paul. Have you ever heard of Alice Mm -hmm. Paul before? Perfect. All right. So Alice Paul, super badass. Alice Paul was a feminist and a suffrage leader in the early 1900s. She was the president. She was founder of the National Women's Party. And they were kind of like the radical suffragettes. They did this 18-month-long protest in front of the White House. They were, in fact, the first group to, to picket in front of the White House. They're you know, advocating for women's suffrage. They'd get arrested. They would go on hunger strikes in prison. Um, but ultimately, after the 19th Amendment was passed in 1920, which gave white women the right to vote, Alice Powell realized that the fight wasn't done. And so she pens the Equal Rights Amendment and really spent the rest of her life trying to get it passed. Unfortunately, it still hasn't ever passed. But yeah, just a super badass. And then number two, I would do Billie Jean King. She's right, still alive, but but still like a living legend. Just like this powerhouse trifecta, right? We've got fighting for gender equity, fighting for, for gender pay, equal pay. We've got this queer icon. We've got a sports superstar. So she's kind of got it all going. She does. I named my dog after Lucy Stone. Oh, really? Wow. I love Lucy Stone. First woman to get a college degree in the country, Oberlin in Ohio. Yeah. There's a, I think there's like a Slater, Slater Kenny song, I want to say, called Lucy Stoners. And they might, they might might rhyme with boners too or something like that. But I might be wrong. It's like a great Riot girl punk song called Lucy Stone. I didn't even know that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Well, Eliza, thanks so much for taking the time again. It was lovely to chat with you. Always a great time, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to Eliza Lenski for joining me. To learn more about Eliza and find links to purchase her books, visit ElizaLenski.com. To support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Laura. Or join my Patreon at patreon.com slash sapphicbookreviewpod, where you can hear bonus content from your favorite authors. 
a special treat this week as Eliza reads a sample from her upcoming May 16th release, Stolen Hearts. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading.